Hi, I'm Tom Yoder, and this is Fieldwork, Misadventures at the Edge of Science. When most of us think about science, we usually think of lab coats and maybe microscopes in sterile, controlled environments. But there's a whole bunch of science that gets done in much more dirty and dangerous places, Science that's done by biologists, archaeologists, geologists, and a lot of other kinds of ologists who do field work where there are sometimes no roads, no shelter, and no backup. And many times the best stories from the field aren't about the science or the coolest discoveries, but about surviving the field work conditions and mishaps that inevitably happen while attempting to gather data in strange or sketchy situations. After listening to the adventures and misadventures of some of the people who make the Four Corners their home, be sure to visit MesaVerdeCountry.com to plan your adventure in Mesa Verde Country. Nathan Brown is a biologist who grew up camping with his family throughout the Ohio River Basin, which eventually led him to graduate school at Syracuse University, where he earned a master's degree in biology in 2009. After his first field season working for a Syracuse professor on Utah prairie dog research at the edge of the Colorado Plateau and the Great Basin, the West Desert entered his veins and he was hooked. Since then, he's worked as a wildlife biologist and ecologist, working with threatened and endangered animal and plant species in southern Utah and the San Juan Basin. Currently, he serves as the interim chief of natural resources and wildlife biologist at Mesa Verde National Park and lives in the Mancus Valley on his wife's farm with their three-year-old farmhand, enjoying camping, skiing, boating, and mountain biking with his family. Our conversation about his fieldwork misadventures was recorded at Fenceline Cider in Mancus, Colorado. Nathan, thanks for making time to do this tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So we're sitting here in uh, the beautiful Mancus Valley at uh, Fenceline Cider, and I'm having a seedling tonight. What, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, pretty much my huge Katkin uh, <laughs> hops because it's a little it's a little drier nice. and uh, uh, <clears throat> you know it's hops in it, so it's kind of like a beer almost. I always like to. Um, Give a shout out to the drinking establishment that we're uh, at when we're doing our, our podcast sessions here. So, of course, man. Thanks. Cheers, man. Cheers. So, anyway, one of my first experiences was uh, I remember um, it was I went down to Florida. I got a research internship at a um, marine biology laboratory. It's like a pretty famous one, it's on the Gulf Coast of, uh, of Mexico. Uh, it's, it's just. Uh, it's in Sarasota, so it's you know south of Tampa on the Gulf Coast side. But I went down there to work on a fish called uh, the snook. Um, it's like an anadromous fish, you know, so it lives like, you know, from the golf course, the the highlands of uh, coastal Florida, <laughs> all the way out to the um, when they're adults, they live really out at the you know just about the sandbar area, um, you know, uh, off the beach. So whatever, a quarter mile or a couple hundred meters off the shore, but all the way inland, all the way up to the um, the top of the watershed. Um, so we would sample uh, from the top of the watershed to the, um, you know, to the, to the Gulf, right? And I just remember, um, you know, the most of the time though we were sampling in intercoastal waterways, right? So it's sort of brackish water where it's, you know, it's not clear. It's not. It's just this, um, you know, it's where it's partly salt water and so you have a little fresh, murky mur it's real murky okay real murky situation murky situation yeah real murky all, <laughs> all the time 
<laughs> you know, and every time, so it just it just got to be kind of the joke on the boat. Like, you know, we literally worked uh, from where the alligators were all the way out to the bull shark territory. You know, and if we were sampling up, the, basically we would just pull nets with a boat. So literally, like depending where we were, hundred foot nets, or when we were out in the open ocean, we would pull five hundred foot nets. And uh, is that like a diameter? Five hundred foot Long. length. Length. Yeah, they're probably 10, 12 feet. But just, to, again, they get short, shorter and shorter. As you move further up the watershed, your nets get smaller and smaller sure, and smaller. that makes sense. And until one point, you know, you are sampling because the, they're anatomists, right? So, like, the little baby fish go all the way up, you know, and the spawning and everything is way up towards the golf course, quote-unquote. And just use that as a metaphor for, like, the top of the watershed, you know, 50 vertical feet from the coast. But it just it, – it was my first real – you know, fieldwork experience besides some couple trips in class, you know, it was my first real summer, like collecting data, you know, and just sitting there for hours at the, at the, uh, computer typing in data or whatever. But I just, you know, there's not, I, I guess there's one specific instance that really stood out that time. So we would, every time, you know, you know, two, three days a week, you would ride the desk, inner data pretty much, or fix nets. And then, you know, probably twice a week, because there was a bunch of us rotating to get the work done. You know, twice a week you rode, you went on boats, two or three times a week. You were out on the water, you know. And But I just remember one time we were sampling at night. Again, by sampling, I mean we're like pull out a, a net behind a boat, set it, and then pull the net in onto the boat. But to do that, you would have to get in the water, right? And so, you know, and this water, again, we're in the ICW, so it's just murky and like, it's just, you know, just dark. And this is, it's probably 10 o'clock at night. We're, you know, wearing headlamps. We're working on the boat. It's middle of the summer. And uh, so far, we had pulled in, you know, you pull in a lot of stingrays. You learn how to grab them and toss them out without hurting yourself. These nets, when you pull them in, were amazing. It was just, you know, some nets didn't have much. Some nets had a lot. But everything would be in it. Trash to, you know, bivalves to all sorts of fish. And you and you got and it was really kind of interesting. I mean, because we were really sampling everything. We were trying to capture this one fish, but we recorded everything we captured. Obviously, you know, for diversity data and everything like that. And um, so anyway, one night we were later like, all right, yeah, you know, this guy Roger, who looks like the guy um, on Game of Thrones with the red beard and who the <laughs> big giant guy. Uh, he looks like that guy. His name was Roger. He's awesome. <laughs> He was like, all right, you know, and we're just a bunch of interns. And he was like, he actually worked there, you know, he had he got paid. And uh, he was like, oh, you guys, uh, get, get in the water there. So we're like getting in. He's just like jumping in. We're just, we're jumping in to ICW. Is it shallow? We're, you never know. That's the thing. You, <laughs> The depth finder is not that accurate. Like, But you're you, treading water. You're treading water half the time. Half the time you're, sta Standing you're just, around. well, you're standing in like <laughs> two feet of muck, you know, oh, and every yeah. step you take sure. is like difficult and you have these weird boots on and it's i mean and you're always shuffling you're worried about alligators and stingrays every time you know and like this is the time you jump in and on top on top of a gator and he bites your leg and takes you down <laughs> and a swirl you know rolls you around but you never know really because you're it's just murky water and you jump you're just like is okay you're brown you're up go in pull the net around the, you know so i just remember jump we were about to jump in and I and I grown up in in this area. I was staying at my grandparents like through two or three nights a week actually, and then crashing at these other interns' house who were beautiful English women, <laughs> who uh, who Good call. Uh, and I just well I just studied abroad in England, so I was all anglified, and they loved it. And anyway, we, we they were great friends. And uh, anyway, 
So I, I was comfortable. I mean, I'd spent a lot of time in this country, but it was really the first time I was like, oh, I'm just jumping in ICWs day and night, apparently. So we're about to jump in. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, look, because we all had headlamps. And there was eye shine. And it was like five pairs of eyes just floating like 10 yards away, five yards away, just floating on the surface. And we all knew what they were. And they're looking at us. And I just remember being like, I'm not jumping in the water right now. <laughs> like, those are a bunch of gators over there. Like, literally... Four, five yards away, you know, yeah. just like they're interested in what's going on. We're pulling a net. Like, what's happening? <laughs> and Roger was like, oh, uh, you know, this old grizzly guy with the red beard was just like, oh, yeah, uh, they're, uh, you know, I'm just an unpaid intern. I, I got, I got, <laughs> let me stress that. <laughs> yeah, let me stress that. There was no, I got, I had to do a research component to graduate, right, for my, for my, just to get my biology degree. So this counted. Like, I went down there and I, oh, and I had to write like an actual research proposal, like, Hey, here's some ideas, and you know and they read it, but it, so it was like a whole like, you know, like I had to do it, but I was not being paid. I was living at my grandparents' house, and you're you're being paid in credit. I, yeah, <laughs> I, it's like from the Life Aquatic, when the pirates take the ship, and he goes, "Do not harm them." He puts his arm in front of them. They're having a gunfight. He's like, "Do not harm them. They are unpaid interns." And it's just like I love that movie. It's so good. It's so good. Anne Marie, do the interns get a gun? No, they have to share one. <laughs> um, it's like that. I mean, it was like that. Yeah. So, but did you jump I, in. We no, did, so, did no, Ro- no. Roger was like, "Oh, oh, don't worry about it." If there's, there was, let's say, five sets of eyes right by each other, and it was, it made sense to my biology brain. He was like, "If there's five sets of eyes that close to each other, they're like yearlings or young of year, mm. meaning that they're three feet or less." four feet or less, you know, mm-hmm. and we were all like, Fight oh, we're, no, yeah, they're not, they're just, they're not going to attack you. Okay. <laughs> they're not a 10 foot, 12 foot hog right. or eight foot hog that's sitting there like <laughs> wondering how hungry he is, you know? <laughs> so we were, and you know, in turn was like, oh yeah, okay, right. And that, you know, I was like, I was like, evolutionarily that checks out. I didn't know gator <laughs> biology, but I, you know, I'd taken some, you know, I was a junior coming into the senior year. I studied evolution a lot and I was like, all right, yeah, no, that uh, checks out. I knew, okay. you know, okay. male alligators are territorial, and they're just big old hogs by themselves most of the time. Okay. Most of the time. <laughs> so it's always an exception. So anyway, <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, in we go, and, you know, it was no but uh, n- no big deal. This is the same guy. We were, uh, we were pulling a net up towards the golf course weeks later in the daytime, and a sane net. So, j- I mean, it, we're just on, we're not using the boat. We're just literally walking up a creek, basically. Mm-hmm. And we're just pulling a, it's probably 10 feet, 8 feet, or 6 feet long net, two people. And we pull an alligator in the net. So we catch an alligator in this net. That's not normally how we catch alligators. Um, and uh, so we did, we pulled an alligator in the net. And, and again, he was only like, uh, like he's a yearling, right? So he's like, he survived the first year and he grew all winter. And now he's like three, four feet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Roger, Rod, same guy, crew lead that day driving the boat. Uh, Roger, uh, hey, uh, uh, I, what? A friend of mine's working at Starbucks. We're gonna go put this thing outside the back of the <laughs> Starbucks, and then I'm gonna call her, and she's gonna come out. And there's gonna be an alligator pranking people with an alligator. Just little, you know. And th- this is a independent lab, right? So but they have to get state permits for all of this stuff. You know what I mean? And they get permits every year. And I mean, they're actually a really. It's called Moat Marine Laboratory. They're like pretty famous. They uh, did some of the early shark cancer research, and and. Uh, so we went and did the prank at Starbucks, you know, with this alligator. <laughs> and I have a picture of me. We had some tanks at the lab that were just big enough. And we had some tanks that were just big enough. We put it in there. 
and then like it was the joke around the lab the next day and then of course and then you know i was like all right guys you know we had to go put the alligator yeah gotta back put it back yeah so right where with, we found with an it. alligator of that size do you, is this like an animal that you just pick up and you're just like put one hand around the snout so and just like do put, what you want with it yeah i mean you you it's a little more uh <laughs> intentional than that, than that. But basically, yeah, I mean, even big alligators, if you can get her, but your, yeah, your hand was big enough basically to go around its, uh, its jaw and his muzzle mm-hmm. or jaw. But, um, so yeah, you, you know, they don't, they're very weak. Their adductor muscles, right. That actually open. Oh, right. It's actually, they really don't they have very strong really, muscles. Yeah. So that's what they do even on big gators. So yeah, no, you hold them firmly. <laughs> Maybe two people, ha- one person, two people on a mouth. Yeah. Someone else is on his body. But for picture, which we took, you know, like here I am, <laughs> you know, one hand on his mouth, one hand on his body, and I was just like, you know, this shit eating grin slash scared <laughs> grin, king, <laughs> you know, it was alligator, alligator, um, excuse me. But uh, that was kind of like, okay, all right, uh, all right, this is, you know, this is cool, um, and we went and put him back. He was fine, you know. I mean, obviously, we we did love it. So what about out west? Yeah, so out um, here, yeah, yeah. Because you, um, you've been out here for a while. I've so. been out on the – I've really been working primarily, basically, uh, around the perimeter and the edges of the Colorado Plateau for mm-hmm. almost 20 years, really. Yeah. My first summer was in uh, 02 as a grad student, uh, living in tent the whole time. Um, about 30 miles northwest of Cedar City, Utah, uh, really out in what's called the West Desert of Utah. Um, it's really where the Great Basin begins and the Colorado Plateau ends. And uh, out there one time, I remember um, it was my – I had gone one summer as a grad – I was a graduate student, but I went out and the, my professor, who I had, had not even met yet, uh, we just swapped emails. He was on his way to come. He gave a talk, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting, and started emailing him, and he, I was like, oh, because I was the end of my first year anyway. He took me as a student, so I drove out. And anyway, first summer, I, there was already crew working. We're doing vegetation studies. It was all working on the Utah prairie dog. It's a, a federally threatened species. Anyway, uh, we're, out, we're out there, you know, counting plants, uh, trapping dogs, you know, doing all sorts of stuff. But what, What's s- that environment like out there? Like yeah, yeah, it was, just, it? it was just uh, it was high desert. So it was, you know, sagebrush and pinion juniper with uh, grass and forbs. You know, and there'd be openings where there were fire. And that's really what the prairie dogs really, fi- you know, it was sort of this a uh, uh, shrubland grassland really high desert right where fire used to drive everything and so uh and fire kills um both pj and uh uh sagebrush so <clears throat> there'd be a fire the sagebrush would die grass and forbs would come up and this is before invasives and everything grass and forbs would come up and then the prairie dogs would move there and that's where they would be and you know for a while a succession and then and then you would have, you know, sagebrush, and then PJ would creep down. And then so there's sort of this shifting mosaic uh, is really, you know, um, where they uh, – how their population was structured, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we were out there. and But, I mean, it's, yeah, 30 miles on a state highway north of Cedar City, then six miles down our dirt road over a cattle guard to get to our site, you know. Because um, we would have to move every 14 days. We were camping, I think, illegally on state <laughs> trust land. Um, ah, the confessions. That, that, uh, How big was this project? Everyone area? knew. Everyone knew we were out there. I mean, it was a. I mean, there was, you know, tens of thousands. I mean, it's just a big project. It led to a suite of papers. Um, and would you were you doing this over like miles of territory or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, miles? we would work really. There's kind of 
like fish U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, like three different recovery units that have already been identified. So we worked up by Bryce Canyon. We worked over by Capitol Reef on a place called the Awapa Plateau or Parker Mountain. Uh, we worked up near Bryce Canyon, all around in there, and then down in, down in the West Desert um, is kind of the three areas where they lived. And they live. That's what's interesting is they live from like six thousand feet to almost ten thousand on the on over ten thousand on the Parker wow. Mountain or Wapa Plateau, which is kind of like between the town of Escalante or uh, yeah Escalante, Utah, like the Grand Staircase, and then Capitol Reef, and then you, anyway, it was kind of cool because up there the prairie dogs were in sagebrush, and from right there it goes from sagebrush to pockets of aspen, and then pockets of Doug fir and aspen. Cool with sagebrush, and then all and then. You just drive a little further south on the uh, on the uh, Aquarius Plateau, and it just turns into a straight like Doug fir and bear, B- the Boulder Mountain, tons of bears wow. for Utah. So it was always kind of cool to go up there. But I remember, uh, uh, so it was my second summer. So that that year, I had I had, you know, via Syracuse University, had hired technicians for my first time. Like put the ad out on Texas A and M, went through resumes. You know, I was like, oh, Syracuse admin, biology department person, help me. And did the whole thing, met him out there, had the tents, led the expedition, quote unquote. Um, you know, we were only going to town once every 10 days or so. I mean, it was, it, it, you know, it took an hour on a dirt road. Um, and we and go you were to the, camping pretty close we were, to the project we area? We were camping to one of the main project area, yeah. like a mile away. But um, I just remember, so it was my second summer. I was now the grad student and the crew lead. The year before, I was just helping out. There was a crew lead and everything, and I did my some other my, some other experiments. But this summer, I was like, "Okay, you're on. You're you're doing it." And so I just remember it was the first day, and we had GPS um, and we had cell phone, but they were both very early on. And so I had a hand drawn map with that I had made the year before. With our, we had experimental. It was a grazing experiment, really, to look at. Uh, impact of uh, different grazing regimes or different grazing levels on weight gain, summer weight gain for Utah Prairie Dogs because hmm. how much weight really they gained is really a predictor of overwinter survival. And so in a species when almost all of them die, uh, you, you, you want to, we were basically not trying to find, we were seeing what the data suggested would be a grazing level that perhaps, you know, the cattle's, the cattle still got the forage they needed and uh, the prey dogs still got the forage that they needed, right? So, I mean, that was kind of what we were interested in finding out. I mean, of course, we're just going to see what the data says. Um, so we had 0%, 33%, and 100% treatments where basically we had a control at 0% where the, the cattle were not excluded, or 100, 100%, let's say. So the cattle were not excluded uh, on all these plots, and then uh, we would measure how, mu- measure how much vegetation was there and how much forage was there periodically, uh, regimented throughout the summer. And whenever it hit, okay, we, they, they've utilized, you know, 33% of the, uh, of the veg, then we put a fence up and say that was 33%. Same thing with 66. And then 100% was where we put a fence up at the beginning, and so the cattle were never there, right? Hmm. Yeah. Or 0% would have been where the cattle were never there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah gotcha. So it was just showing you this different grazing pressures. And, and, and then we trapped all the dogs in all those plots. So we had like 18 plots. It was four by four block. So it was like 16 plots. And they're each 30 meters by 30 meters. How were you trapping them? Just tomahawk traps. What I can't remember mean? the number. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a no, it's a no. Yeah. We're not killing them. It's a no kill trap. It's like or, a mesh tube kind of thing or. No, it's a, it's a metal trap. Like you would see maybe people catching squirrels or something okay uh it's, it you has bait them you bait them with peanut butter and and uh oat, rolled oats and we had scientific spoons we called them that mix the peanut butter and the oats you know <laughs> <laughs> like don't hurt that scientific spoon, spoon. <laughs> 
it was real cool. I mean, it was just uh, I did that for four summers. It was just it was wild. But uh, I just remember that second year, the uh, we had a really set experiment. So the cows or or, or the sheep maybe in the salon were going to come on at a very specific time to start simulating those grazing regimes, right? But we we were just had just got out there, been out there just a couple of days. And we were still, like, counting all the veg and all the plots, getting everything set up, you know, doing the whole um, – yeah, we were getting the experiment set up, right? I mean, it's a full-on ecological experiment, large-scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, – or I'm, like, building barbed wire fences and shit. I mean, <laughs> pounding T-posts. I mean, yeah. you know, getting all cut up. I mean, it's, like, a whole thing. And – I was, and it was my first summer in charge, too, so I was all like, oh, I got to do a good job, you know? <laughs> and we went out to check the plots one like one night. I, I just was like, oh, I, let me go back up there. You know, it was like towards the evening time. And I drove back I drove back up there. but And that, it was a couple weeks in, I think, because by that point, I was already full, like, you know, Chacos, nylon shorts, no shirt, <laughs> big <laughs> f- desert hat with a long <laughs> feather in the back. <laughs> You know, I'd already had a beer or two. It was already over. The <laughs> evening was, you know, it was already, like, I went back up to the plots to, like, I would check something, you know. The crew was making dinner, you know. I was like, I'm going to go back up there. I go back up there. I walk out. You know, it takes, it, it's like, you know, a 10-minute drive to the plots, and it's not a 10-minute walk from the where you can park to get out to the plots. And I walk out there, and there's 300 head of sheep. And I was like, "Why there should not be sheep here yet?" You know, BLM told me the cow that we're gonna be cows and they're gonna be here in a month. You yeah. know, and sheep were not a part of the equation. The sheep and the sheep at, at this moment, where we hadn't yet, uh, you know, counted all the plants and set up all the plots and everything. So I was just like, uh, "I don't know what to do here." So <laughs> I, we had a project cell phone, but it was like, like I said, it was, this was two thousand. The bag so phone. It was post bag phone. <laughs> But it was the, one of the first generations of phones. But no coverage, probably. Not a lot of coverage. Yeah. And you had to drive to get coverage. Yeah. But um, I had one. And, uh, well, you, you did get some. You actually got signal on this one, like, part, one plot you got, like, you could call. So I was walking around out there. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then I saw this guy, right? And the sheep were moving in. So and, and then I hadn't spent 20 years out west yet. It was just my second year, right? So I just was like, okay, this must be this guy's sheep, I guess, right? It was. It was this old guy named Stubbs who ran sheep, come to find out. And he, you know, I walked up to him. He was mounted. He had a pistol on his belt. I was in flip flip-flops. <laughs> Nylon shorts and a Nylon hat. shorts and a big <laughs> hat with a feather. And I was a little, you know, instead of, like, coming in slow and being like, hey, what's going on there, partner? You know. I've learned how to communicate and kick the dirt with all these guys now, but you know, I just was like, "What the?" F-? I didn't. I don't think I dropped <laughs> f bombs, but I was like, um, I, you know, I I was trying to maintain my cool, but I definitely was like, "Why are your sh- why? you were irritated?" <laughs> yeah, I was. I didn't know. I didn't. I was like, "Why? Why is this guy here? Why are these sheep?" You know, and so we got you know, but I just remember walking up to him, and I just I knew I was like, "Well, I I you know, this is." Fucking up the experiment, you know. I got this sheep out of here before they, you know. We have, we're still counting plants. We're still putting up plots. They're not supposed, to, yeah. you know, cows or sheep or whatever aren't supposed to be here for two more weeks, you know. 
you know, and these guys have grazing permits, and they're more, and they are kind of general, especially <laughs> if it's all within the same allotment. And he's they just, do not have GPS. Yeah, no, I, I know, and they're just moving them between. You know, he was just moving it in between pastures because ah. our whole our whole experiment was in one pasture, which could be, you know, a couple thousand acres. But you know, you don't, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff yet that I do now, right? So, um. I just remember taking that moment to be like, okay, well, I got to go talk to this cowboy who's wearing a gun and on a mounted horse <laughs> with all these 100 head of, 200 head of sheep. And you, all, for, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, yeah. are a hippie wandering in the I, desert. For all intents and purposes, I am just, <laughs> I'm a, I, I am going to probably, you know, mug him and <laughs> steal his sheep and, and do God knows what a Welshman would do. You know, like, for all I know, he's just like, yeah, I'm a threat to him, for right. sure. I might as well be have a horn on my head. I'm in fucking flip flops. Cowboys don't wear flip flops. So what did the conversation between anyway, you and the just you know honestly he just it, he, like. you know it was just it's just like you thought he was a hundred it could have been a hundred could have been fifty I don't know, but he just you know we worked it out I I, I just he said oh you know and I called I I had the deputy or the assistant field office manager's number. Uh, for the BLM Cedar City District. Uh, and thank God, it was like a 5 o'clock on a Thursday or 6 o'clock on a Thursday. I don't I don't know why this guy answered. I had a cell phone maybe, and he answered. Randy, his guy's name was. And he, I handed the phone to the <laughs> cowboy, this old sheep man. He was a sheep guy, really. And, yeah. don't, and don't get it confused. He, 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 it's different. He runs sheep. He's not a cowboy. Uh handed the phone to him up to him on his horse you know uh it was like you know when you're a kid like my mom call your mom can my mom talk to your mom you know and so and i'm not even sure he ever even used a cell phone before i don't Probably know not. i really don't know I mean, it was oh three yeah so i handed it up to him and then and he knew who that guy was he, you know it wasn't the range con he worked with but he knew that that guy was who he was yeah and he didn't say anything to me. He just turned his horse around and led all the sheep back where they came from. Wow. And then they showed up the day that they were supposed to show up. Wow. I, I never was really mean, but I was definitely – I can't. I, I knew I had to walk the balance between being – I was in flip-flops. He was mounted with a gun. Like, he had all the advantage. He didn't know how – we didn't know each other. I had an objective. He had an objective. There's literally not another human for five or six air miles. No witnesses. None. <laughs> uh, and so I, it came to a pretty good uh, conclusion. But, uh, you know, I just knew I had to be assertive. But at the same time, it's like talking to a bear. It's like I had to be assertive, but I also couldn't be uh, aggressive or violent. Right. It was like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, or else he wouldn't even listen to a word I said either. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. a, a bunch, and it, that's a bunch of different stories. From yeah. Utah. So do you have any more you want to share? I mean, any I another could, another one? I could tell the big one. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get to one more. All right. We'll do the last <laughs> one. Um. Yeah. So at this point, uh, yeah. So I was still working in Cedar City. You know, I was an ecologist. Uh, I was with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service at this point. So I've been the, with them maybe a year or two. Um. You know, and we get kind of a reputation as desk jockeys. I, you know, really, I was a field office of one, sitting in a. I was, I was located in a national forest office, the Dixie, the supervisor's office in Cedar, Cedar City. So, and I had my own truck at that point. So I, I, I actually got out a lot. I, it was basically, it was a perfect job to be honest with you. But um, um, 
you know, there's this they they uh, Fish and Wildlife Coordination Office, so like a fisheries office in Flagstaff sends emails like, hey, we need help doing this. And you you get those once in a while, like, hey, we need help trapping bison. Hey, we need they just need bodies to come help. Sort of interagency, a, yeah, kind no, of within stuff. an agency, oh, like interagency, okay. like with a fisheries or with like the on a refuge, they may be having some big thing and they just need bodies and they like can't. You're there. And we we're yeah. already on the payroll. Can you come help us for five days? Sure. We'll pay for your your per diem. Um. And so that kind of thing came around once in a while, and it was just, it was in September, and I was like, oh, it was a good time of year. I didn't have a lot of projects going on, so my boss was like, yeah, no, you know, go ahead. It was because it was like I was gonna be gone for like twelve days. It was like ten days in the canyon, so um, we went. Uh, so I was like, okay, so I was like, oh, I'll go be, uh, and I squeeze fish. That's what we call it in the industry. Is like, you fish, you're a fish squeezer or a <laughs> or a rat catcher. You know what I mean? Or a gopher, uh, what a, a gopher choker. You're a fish squeezer or a gopher choker. Gopher I was a gopher choker, by definition. Uh, but I'd sque- like I said, I'd squeeze fish at, in, in the Gulf of Mexico for a summer, and I was not, you know, it's something I knew a little bit about fisheries and stuff. So um, I was like, yeah, no problem. Blah blah blah. So like, great, come come out. So you you know you go down to Flagstaff, whatever, drive the truck down there, get a hotel. Okay, rendezvous at like uh, 4 a.m. There's a big. Uh, USGS complex in Flagstaff, so it was like we're meeting there literally at four. Uh, everyone gets get there, gets all their gear, loaded their personal gear, loaded into trucks. We do a big truck convoy out uh, to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, uh, where the Little Colorado River is. So people that go down the river know, like if it's if it hasn't rained a bunch of stuff, that's where that really bright blue mm-hmm. uh, river comes in. The Travertine Falls, it's like super famous. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, so, you know, it's like epic, right? So we go out to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, but I mean, we're just out on Navajo Reservation. You know, we're, we got permission. We're like 40 miles probably down a dirt road to the west of uh, the highway that goes to Flag uh, from the north. And uh, next thing you know, we're, I'm helping load cargo nets because everything gets flown in uh, with helicopters because it's like 10 days. There's three different crews, three different sample points. Um, it's for a fish called uh, – it's on the endangered species list. It's called a humpback chub. There's like four species of fish that are listed under the ESA for in the Colorado River system uh, and that are Colorado River fish. This is one of them. And the Little Colorado River is one of like three I, – it's like a handful or less – uh, you know tributaries where they spawn, where they really spawn, and they've been spawning, and they haven't, and they do well, and uh, you know, and so it's a really important, really important stretch of river. Mm-hmm. Uh, the access, of course, all through um, the Navajo Nation and BIA, but we had got permission and everything. So, and I'm just a hired gun, right? I'm just doing. I'm a GS5. I'm a GS11 doing GS5 work, <laughs> getting GS11 wages, <laughs> which is nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, so we fly down there. It's only a couple. We, we spent all morning. It was cloudy in the morning, but we didn't really think a lot of it, you know. And it was okay to fly. So, and I'd actually flown a lot in fishing game, uh, doing bighorn sheep surveys in southern Utah. So I was really comfortable in helicopters and stuff. So we fly down, and we're our camp, Salt Camp. Salt Canyon is one of the main uh, can- side canyons of the Little Colorado River, which is a side canyon of the Grand Canyon. Fly down there. Unload all our stuff. The flights took the other. There's two other crews. Another one's another mile or two down. It's probably two miles or three miles downstream. And another one's two or three miles from that, right near the confluence, right? Because we're we're basically doing a we're a demographic study. We're capturing fish, seeing how many fish there are, blah, what condition, 
you know, th- this is a this is like part of a twenty year study probably. Wow. Like ten papers have been published on this. Like this guy Dennis Stone was the uh, PI. He was uh, a Fish and Wildlife Service researcher, master's level, but he had been doing it for twenty years and he was definitely an expert on this fish. And had been in that canyon like twenty seasons. Wow. Like they, I was on this September trip. They do like five trips like this a year, and they've been doing that for almost twenty years, something like that. God. Like crazy, yeah. Longitudinal, as they say in the business. There's a lot of data. Yeah, There's a lot of data. So we land, we get everything ready. It, our little camps under a mesquite tree. We don't even set our camp up. We just drop all our stuff because we want to get out this first day of uh, sampling done. So we had to basically what we were doing is going to go set our nets so that the next day we would have start catching fish and get data right and it's this old school way you plug you put this stick you pound this stick into the into a river bank it's t- has a rope on it and the rope is tied to like this old school hoop net and so it's just a bunch of hoops with canvas over it that goes to a tapered end and basically so it it's flowing with all the and all the effort of all the current is going through this so what basically happens is fish swim in it and w- and it has some flaps in it and stuff like that, and they just can't swim out. There's no trap. It doesn't like hurt the them. The current keeps them the in. The current basically. keeps them in. Yeah. And so we were just going to deploy like hoop nets. We were going up canyon, so our 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 camp was basically at our lower point, and we had like six point sample points to set up canyon. So it's probably three or four in the afternoon. It's our first day. It's basically 60s. It's it's probably like 70 degrees, but it's overcast and it had been overcast all day. Um. And I just I throw a pack on all it has water in it, and I didn't think I was like okay I got water, no extra layers, it was just like my mountain biking bag that I brought just for this occasion. I knew I would need like a little teeny bag to, on the sample day. So I have I had water, I, I'm in t-shirts and a short and a hat. You know it's like we're in the it's seventy something. It's September. So we start hiking north. We set all of our nets. It starts drizzling, just drizzling. Now drizzling on us in the Little Colorado Canyon, and we're we're you know we're not the head obviously, but we're hiking up, and there's one other side canyon I cannot remember the name of it. So we were camped at the base of Salt, but there's another major side canyon that's kind of famous. People people died in it before. This side canyon to a side canyon to the canyon, <laughs> right? A side canyon into Little Colorado. That's a side canyon into the Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I'm walking, and these openings are I'm passing. Right, we pass two or three little ones like. On the way up, right, like little, you know, it's a canyon, so there's all these little, little canyons that feed water, and and they're all, dri- they were all, just, you know, dripping. They were just like dribbles, if flowing at all, and w- and one was flowing, but it was just a, dri- a a trickle, right? So we get up, and it's, and it's still just drizzling on. It's drizzling on us, but I mean like a light, light drizzle. Winds picked up a little. We're hiking back down, and I. I started hearing stuff. I started seeing stuff. And I said, you know, De- it was Dennis. And there was a, another volunteer was a, he was a Missouri fishing game guy. Same thing. He had been doing it like three years in a row. It was his big helper trip. He didn't get, pa- he didn't get paid. I was at least getting paid. He was not <laughs> he getting paid. Was, he was unpaid. He was, un- <laughs> he was an unpaid intern. <laughs> I was getting paid. I was a fish wildlife service employee just helping on this project. So, so what are you seeing? You said you're hearing so and I'm, seeing I'm things. Stuff, what is that? And we're starting. To, so we're hiking back down Canyon. Yeah. Right. And our camp is, you know, half mile away. And then now it's a quarter mile away. And there's sound and noise starting to 
it's starting to get really loud, like <laughs> really loud, right? Mm-hmm. And now all the other two guys, Dennis and I can't remember the Missouri guys. What did name. it sound like? No, it was just that churning, right? It was just like water, water. rocks, mm-hmm. and a train. You know, you hear all these things, right? Yeah, it's all yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you start, we got getting closer and closer, and it was just like, okay, so that the side canyon that was a trickle, and and I remember us making a joke as we're walking up to it, like we're. 300 meters away still or something and we're like oh this will be fun crossing that you know and by the time we get up to it like 10 minutes later you know we stand there for i just remember standing there so we're looking just down canyon right and this is and the river is to our left like the little colorado river which drains a big area the little colorado river is to our left and right in front of us is this one this side canyon i don't it is famous um and it is it's blowing out Right, so it is blowing out. We are not crossing this. What was, when I say, uh, like, it would not even go over the top of my toes, but it was wet. 45 minutes before, it is now um, a torrent, right? So, you know, like, literally I took one step across it. Now it's 10, 15, 20 feet wide. So what's happening is we're standing on this corner of land that is a triangle where the... Little Colorado River is on our left, and right in front of us, five feet in front of us, is this is this side drainage that's blowing out. And as we're standing there, there are mesquite trees, like mature mesquite trees. So they're probably like, I don't know, 12 feet high. T- like, you know, they're not four feet high. They're like a, a mature tree. Just a couple of them rip out from uh, like, and the bank <laughs> falls out from under us. Right, not not where we're standing, but in, uh, in front and, of you, in front of us. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. This is like this is okay. This is a, this is now like a, this is a bad scenario, right? Our camp at this point, we could practically see it, like, two hundred yards maybe down canyon. Like you can see like this one rock that sticks out that you know like our camp's like fifty yards from there, right? And it's like we can see our camp, right? And Dennis Stone, trip leader, you know this. He's I was probably twenty years in. I was 30. He was 55. Didn't bring the radio. We had comms. We had hard comms. So we had radio and sat phone all at camp. Just a little hike. You were just we were just going hike. up to set our traps. Be an hour walk. Right? Half hour can half hour. Like, really, we weren't going that. Simple. It, it's simple. Not that far. Let's just get our traps in the ground. We'll come back, set up camp, make dinner, hang out. A couple minutes go by. Just a couple, two or three minutes. Not a long time, but. And he's just sitting there watching <laughs> this, the ground erode under us, right? And he's like scratching his head. He he's just in this sort of like, he just keeps saying like, I'm never because he's seen that canyon blow out before, but never, not like this, right? Yeah. So he's in this academic <laughs> mind trap where he's just like, this is so interesting. Like, why? What is happening? Why? You know, why is it? Why is this happening now? You know, like. What is going on to create this condition? And, you know, meanwhile, the ground is literally starting to fall into the into the side drainage beneath our feet. Also now we've noticed <laughs> to our left, the main stem of the river is now also coming up, <laughs> right? Because we're really only a mile or two or something from the mouth, from the mouth right? So we're really at the bottom of this drainage, yeah. you know? Of this, the Little Colorado River is a huge. I mean, it's it's a pretty big drainage for a desert southwest area, right? Yeah. So we're at the end of this thing, and it's it's coming up noticeably, and the <laughs> creek in the creek in front of us is just yeah no we're not getting across this, 
So we go back. We're, we're going to get pinched into the wall, right, the actual wall. Like if I'm looking down, down Canyon at the side drainage, and on my left is the main river coming up to the, my right is a wall. And that, so we get pinched against this main wall, but now it's raining pretty hard, and rock, rocks are starting to come down. Like there's like, so if you're in Canyon Country and Sandstone Country, and when it rains real hard, you you know, next to cliffs and stuff, there's rock fall. Like rocks start to erode off, right? That's sandstone. So for, even before we got pinched in the wall, we're still at that little point. And I just look at the guy. I look at the Missouri guy. Like, dude, what we got to? I was like, I vocalize. I'm like, we need to get the fuck out of here. You know, and Dennis is still the fish old old school fish wildlife guy. So he's just sitting there like scratching his head, and I was like, Dennis, you know, I got to say his name loudly several times. He's finally and like he was in a trance. He kicked out of it, and he was like, Oh, okay, right, like oh okay. yeah, survival. Oh yeah, right. survival, right? <laughs> Not just academic observations. So we that's when we get pinched up against the wall. Boulder, you know, you know, like bowling ball rocks size are starting to like fall adjacent to us, and this is the time when I start to notice. Oh, I'm shivering. I'm shivering now. The temperature's dropped. Yeah, yeah, and we're wet. Now it's raining. It's been raining. This is this has now been going on for 20 minutes, half an hour. And I remember I had a beanie in my things. So I put my beanie on, but I st- that wasn't enough. Like I was still shivering. No one else was. I. T- no one had great clothes on, but I had. I think they had like long sleeve shirts on. I had a short sleeve shirt on and shorts. I'm shivering. We can't get our camp to our camp. Rocks, we can't stay where we are either. And there's, we can't hike up canyon because we're not going to – we can't hike out of the canyon. The only way into this canyon is a helicopter or the salt trail. The salt trail is by our camp, and we can't get to the salt trail. So, like, there's no real options here. And then I, I don't remember who had the idea, but I was like, look, we, we got to go across the river and then beat our way down to the next camp. Like, that's the – because they're, they're next camp down – it's a couple miles. It's not 10 miles. It's like, you know, hiking, rivery, but brushy two miles, maybe a mile, two miles. And only that, they all, so they've been doing this project for 20 years, and all their sample sites were set pretty much. They moved them a little bit. So basically there was quasi-paths on the side that we had, were setting our fishnets on through the Phragmites and the rocks and everything else. But on the other side of the bank, right, we wouldn't hit their sample path until we were close to the camp, right? So it was just wild canyon country, and everyone's been in them that has water in it. There's like jungles down there, if you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's like, there's vegetation. There's, yeah, yeah, thick vegetation that is rife with <laughs> bark scorpions and Grand Canyon pink rattlesnakes. <laughs> and not only that, it's all volcanic rock. It's that t- same stuff that Tavertine is, right? So it's this like limestone that's it's been eroded sharp. that is, you know it, <laughs> it is razor sharp yeah so first things first uh so right below us by the way 20 yards below us is a, a rapid or, or what was a travertine falls google it it's like this pretty thing that but what we're talking about it's a limestone shell uh razor trap uh <laughs> that was a beautiful like scene you'd see from your computer web uh screensaver and now is a churning like class four rapid with mud water the river's coming up <laughs> we're, we were like all right i guess we gotta cross this river we don't know what kind of hydraulics are going on i'm like i don't we don't have no idea there's definitely a big ass rapid 40 feet that way 50 yeah. feet that way no idea so at that point dennis 
who he is trip leader like he's in charge of the whole expedition really he was like all right i'll i'll swim first i was like yeah <laughs> show me the way <laughs> yeah show me the way <laughs> show me the way buddy you know and i've been the trip leader most of the time in my life and still am in so many ways but you know i was just a crew hand at this in this thing right and i had at least been like dennis wake up like so he swam, you know, and he's like, you guys swim? I was like, yeah, we can swim. Of course, we don't PDFs or anything like right, that. Right. And so it was like, okay, get across before you go over that. Because if you go over that waterfall or this rapid travertine, that's it. You're, you, you, you will die, right? You, well, what's going to happen is you're going to get, you're going to bleed out and all your bones will be broken. Because that's not the only, all it is is travertine falls from there to the, to the mouth. It's going to get rolled all the way. You're just going to get rolled all the way yeah. and you're not going to live. You're yeah. not going to live. No way. So... He goes across, makes it. We hike 20 more yards up Canyon before we start. And being a Missouri guy, I mean, I you know, I, I can swim, swim all right, you know, swim pretty well. So we make it across, no problem. Then I'm still shivering, and now I'm wet too. So it's like I just got to move and don't stop moving. So then it's it took us about three hours to go maybe two miles bushwhacking. We, we had no headlamps. There was It's cloudy. We couldn't see a thing, and we're just busting through Phragmites, and reeds and all this really thick vegetation crawling over these rocks that you know you were we're all cut up we're bleeding and the whole time you don't even you're like rattlesnakes and scorpions i can't even like i can't even pro i'm not even i'm trying just not to when i grab this rock to climb over it or drop down like we're scrambling for two miles you know because it's really a steep canyon right so it's just yeah. rocks and and a jungle yeah and uh three hours it took us we get to camp. It's probably about 9 or 10 o'clock at night to the next camp down there. But remember, our day, everyone's day has started at 4 a.m. Everyone's out cold in this other camp. No one even stirred. <laughs> so we get in there. We make – I just remember in the in – the, in the, my previous – I just had – my girlfriend at the time, I just remember all I could think about was just like – I just want to be in a warm bed with her. I just want to be in a warm bed with her. I just want to be in a warm bed with her. That's all I, that's what honestly kind of got me through those three hours. You know, the whole time, I mean, I'm borderline. I'm not hypothermic now because now we're walking and moving. Yeah. And I have the little beanie on. It's, you know, the temperature, we're down at 50 degrees. Like we all are, we're all borderline hypothermic. You know, we're like, it's, it's not a good situation, right? We get down, we get another camp, we make a fire. We destroy like one whole package of Oreos or something, and they feed you gray and they fly everything in. There's bins down, so he, the dentist was like, "Don't worry about it. We can eat whatever you want. Like we have, we'll give them our food. <laughs> we'll like, get more. <laughs> yeah, it's not like there's plenty of food. Like just yeah. eat it. We, we always end up throwing away food. Like just, just yeah. you know. So we eat, we get in food, but now <clears throat> we're all in soaked clothes. It's you know it's 50 degrees, September 20th or something, we're bottom of the low Colorado. No, everyone else, we couldn't be like, hey, this is not COVID times. It was like, can I crawl into your <laughs> tent? But they were, we weren't going to wake anyone up. <laughs> so I was me. I was like, oh, I know what we can do. That's the barrel, right? And I was like, Dennis, that's the barrel that has the flight stuff in it. And he was like, yeah. So because we're all government employees, we had to fly in, in in Tyvek suits, which don't breathe and are hot as ball. Uh, hot, sorry. They're very hot. <laughs> They're very hot. They're very hot. <laughs> So we they don't breathe, right? So your body basically they're like yeah. little they're just little insulators, insulators yeah. even though they're real thin fabric. Yeah. So what do we do? We pull one of the old tarps that was laying around in this campsite, this site, because like I said, they use these sites every year. So they have some storage like supplies. Mm-hmm. So we pull this huge tarp out. 
We all put on, we all strip naked and put on tie, dry, the dry Tyvek flight suits that the other crew who's in bed in their tents warm are wearing. Uh, we, uh, and then we all get in a tarp taco. So we do the whole tarp taco. Three grown men barely know each other. <laughs> taco it up. You know, you know, on the sand. <laughs> Next to a campfire, we got the campfire going, and then nice. tacoed our tarp and hoped our tarp didn't catch on fire and yeah. kill us all. Oh, well, we had Tyvek suits on, so it'd be right, right. right. Uh, and uh, morning comes, the next crew, and th- basically, what next day, all we did was uh, they they we it w- the so the the main stem of the river was just still up, like we could not cross. Now we were now downstream of the the side canyon that we couldn't cross, but we we're on the other side. And they, we could, we spent the day looking for their traps and our traps that are all blown out, looking on yeah. on just our side of the bank, because they had set their traps, we had set ours. So we're trying to find our traps that are blown out, and then that took like an hour. And then we just sat. There's like six people. This one person helping was a, she was like a external affairs person, like not a biologist. And she was now she she was at this other camp, but she was working. She she just came up from the Washington office just as a fun <laughs> thing, you know. <laughs> And Field so she trip. hears this. We just sit there and tell each other bullshit. Yeah. Eight hours sitting by a fire, just <laughs> drinking coffee all day long. Yeah. And then the next day, that next day, they furnished some extra sleeping bags and we figured stuff out and whatever. And the next day, uh, we were able to cross and go back up. You know, that at the end of the day, we try, you know, really try to minimize risk in the field. We have communications. We have this. We have that. And people really do try and be safe. Thank you for sharing all the stories. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fieldwork, Misadventures at the Edge of Science. And big thanks to Nathan Brown for sharing his stories about doing fieldwork for this episode, and to Fenceline Cider for allowing us to record on their patio. As the only non-archaeologist featured in this season of Fieldwork, I also want to thank Nathan for proving that archaeologists don't have a corner on crazy fieldwork adventures. If you are a biologist, archaeologist, geologist, or any other kind of ologist field scientist, living in the Four Corners area, and have a fieldwork misadventure to share for this podcast, please contact me by emailing tom at ksjd.org. I'd love to hear from you. Fieldwork is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more about KSJD on our website at ksjd.org. And this podcast is generously supported by Mesa Verde Country and the Colorado Tourism Office through its Restart Destinations program. If you're curious about the archaeology of the Four Corners, don't miss another podcast from KSJD called Mesa Verde Voices. It does an excellent job of revealing the prehistory of the area through the lens of contemporary perspectives from the indigenous people whose ancestors lived that history. You can find the Mesa Verde Voices podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The theme music for Fieldwork is from Genuine Cowhide. You can, and really should, listen to their incredible tunes on Spotify. I'm Tom Yoder reminding you that sometimes you're the alligator and sometimes you're that special friend who works at Starbucks. <laughs>